BP added more than $70 billion to the U.S. economy in 2022 by making investments from coast to coast. Investments like building charging hubs for fleets of electric buses in California and starting up new infrastructure in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Hey, friends, thanks so much for listening to the podcast. And we want to make sure that you know about all the other exciting ways to get more exclusive content from The Bill Press Show. We're on Patreon. Did you know that? On Patreon. So to go to Patreon, P-A-T-R-E-O-N dot com slash BP show to get videos that nobody else gets. All we ask is five bucks a month and you get access to daily commentary. And every week we put up a special interview just for our Patreon subscribers. Hey, it's a great way to support progressive media and get your hands on some fun, new, exclusive content. Thanks so much for supporting the show by going to patreon.com slash BP show. Giving you everything you need to fight the Trump administration. This is The Bill Press Show, live at youtube.com slash The Bill Press Show. Hello, everybody. Yes, indeed, it is The Bill Press Show. Thank you so much for tuning in here on a Friday, August 3rd. My name is Peter Ogburn, sitting in for Bill Press today as we head into the weekend. Now, I, I just I have to own this right off the bat. I have to mention this because sometimes when I host, it's happened. I've had to bring my dog in with me. So Weebay is here with me. Uh, if you hear like his collar jingling or if you hear a guest freak out because Weebay snuck up behind them, uh, he's in studio with me. That's okay, right? He's very cute. He's oh, a very you. cute dog. You- well, I have to go out of town like right after the show today. And so he's coming with me out to the shore to go swimming and running around and chasing rabbits and all that fun to stuff. To have the time of his life. The best time ever, right? And so since it's early and I'm going straight out there after the show, he had to come with me. So, like, I have to go through this whole thing. I have to warn all the guests before they come in, like, hey, I'm bringing in a dog. He's a big dog, but he's such a puddin'. He's like a total love bug. But it's just like, he's a, he's a big, like, in your face. Look at him. He I mean, is look- big, and his bark is quite low, so it can be frightening if you're not expecting it. He's 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 just a, a big old dumpling. He's not going to hurt anybody. Anyway, he's in studio with us, as is media reporter for Axios, Sarah Fisher. Hi, Sarah. Good morning. Good to see you. Starting out the show with you today, uh, I'm so glad you could be here bright and early. We've got a lot of stuff to talk about. Uh, one thing I wanted to mention right off the bat before we get uh, really cooking, I had mentioned this story uh, earlier this week that Apple was poised to become the first American public company to cross the $1 trillion Valuation yesterday they did exactly that. Their stock passed two hundred seven, two hundred seven dollars and four cents per share. That is a new all time high. Uh, or it went up to two two hundred eight thirty eight. It passed two hundred seven oh four. That's the new high. Uh, they are now up more than twenty percent this year. There is nothing that's going to slow Apple down, right? I mean, let's hope not. I mean, the one thing that I guess is on everyone's mind is like. Not only are they getting up to such a high valuation, they have so much cash on hand. That's the thing. 
They got $234 billion cash on hand. Wall Street is just dying to know where they're going to put it. That's crazy to me. It's insane. Think, you know, there was a lot of rumors when Netflix was worth, I don't know, $60 billion. Now it's worth a lot more. Sure. That Apple, you know, City marked it as a 40% that Apple would buy Netflix. Yeah. And now... You could buy a couple of Netflix, yeah, exactly. right? Netflix. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so, I mean, Apple's been p- pretty clear that they want to invest in their software services business, so their apps, their content, all of that kind of stuff. Um, you know, they've also said though that they don't want to buy any businesses. They just want to poach the talent and then buy the franchises, which is what they seem to be doing. Oprah yeah. now has a show and, you know, they license Sesame Street. So, We'll see where they go with it, but man, Apple's the hot stock to buy right now. Clearly. Here we are. Got my iPhone. You've got your iPhone. I got one of those Apple battery cases, as do you. Yep. I've got my Apple Apple computer. computer. You've got your you have iPhone. Your AirPods. I don't have the AirPods anymore. I oh, took you don't. Back. You took them back. No, I took them back. My kids but, roasted me too but much you about tried having them. the AirPods. They called them Dad Pods. Oh. Uh, and I was like, I can't take. I didn't. First of all, I didn't love them, but I also just didn't want to get ridiculed by my children. <laughs> but that's also kind of, in a sense, like that's part of Apple's problem in that. The hardware business is like peaked. They're saturated. Yeah, everyone's got the yeah, phone. Totally. Everyone's got the computers. That's why they want to double down on their services and software revenue yeah. and become, you know, a little bit more of a software business. So we'll see. I mean, Tim Cook said it's his goal to double the business by 2020. They're Good getting there. Grief. Yeah. I mean, that's crazy to think about. I mean, and it's just so everybody's got Apple products. Mo- most people, anyway. Uh, if you don't have them, you're at least familiar with them. And that's the, that. That is a good point. Like the hardware stuff, who knows where they go from here? Like they're gonna have to come up with a pretty revolutionary new iPhone to get me to actually, you know, care about it. Anyway, we've got lots and lots to talk about. We're gonna jump right into the media world with Sarah Fisher uh, after we take a very, very quick break, and lots of good stuff coming up. Stay tuned to the Bill Press Show. My name is Peter Ogburn, sitting in for Bill Press. We'll be right back. On TV and online, this is The Bill Press Show. Yes, indeed, it is The Bill Press Show. Thank you so much for tuning in here on a Friday, August 3rd. We are just getting underway with so, so much to talk about. My name is Peter Ogburn, sitting in for Bill Press. Remember, by the way, uh, our podcast. you got to go check out our podcast. Not only are we going to put today's podcast up in its entirety, well, without the commercials, but we'll put it up for you. Uh, right after the show. But also, this weekend, we have a very special podcast podcast that's going up. I interviewed uh, comedian Lewis Black. Uh, we're going to put that up on, uh, it's going to go up tomorrow, Saturday. Uh, and he talks a lot about, he's, you've seen, you know who Lewis Black is. He's a comedian from, uh, used to be on The Daily Show. Very angry guy. Uh, and I talked to him sort of about like what it's like to do comedy in the age of Trump. You know, like, I remember watching Lewis Black in the age of George W. Bush when a lot of people that were progressives were freaking out about the weird world of President George W. Bush. And, boy, it only got weirder. And uh, I think that's sort of where he made a name for himself was being the anti – not anti-Bush comic, but he tapped into sort of the rage during the mm-hmm. Bush years. I think that he had an oddly calming view of it all, sort of just like this is crazy yeah. and it's not great, but – we should still find time to laugh. Yeah, totally. 
It's also this thing that like we get a lot here on the show of like, oh, this must be really good for business. Oh, this must be really great for you guys. It's like, yes, we have a lot of things to talk about, but it's also, you know, we live um, in hell. Awful watching your country seemingly right. split in half. So like, yeah, okay, sure, it's good for business, but I would rather not have it if that's if that's what we're dealing with. Uh, that is the voice of Ray Rogers running the board this morning. Also, McKenna is in there uh, helping out and Cyprian Bolding keeping us on air on free speech TV and youtube.com slash the bill press show. I am lucky enough to be joined by the media reporter for Axios. Her name is Sarah Fisher. She's been on the show uh, several times before. Hi, Sarah. How are you? I'm doing well. How are you doing? I'm well. Happy Friday. Happy Friday. I mentioned this earlier, uh, but I've got my dog with me in studio. Who who has made friends with you, apparently? He's yeah. just sort of hanging out over it's on like your side of the It's like a little ear table. massage, back of the ear massage. Oh, that's the best. Yeah. That's the best. You know that. exactly what to do. <laughs> you know exactly what to do. So he's hanging out in here. If you hear any other commotion, that's uh, that's my dog, Weebay, who's in studio with us. Um, good grief. There's just been so much media news going Ooh, on. Tired. Um, I, I want to start off with, I, I don't want to say it's a conservative problem, but like conservatives are sort of uh, uh, freaking out these days because they're afraid that their voices are being silenced, right? And you're seeing a lot of um, uh, companies take steps to silence sort of radical voices, which I think, I, I don't want to paint with too broad a brush here, but I think that they are most more closely aligned with conservative talk radio or video i'm talking about alex jones people like that um spotify is the most recent uh company to sort of take a stand against the stuff they've removed alex jones's podcast saying that he is uh um putting out hate content and i don't know i like i have to say i used to find alex jones to be a really entertaining guy Mostly because I usually root for the agent of chaos. I just kind of enjoy <laughs> that perspective. But it's also, now that we live in chaos all the time, I don't find it as funny anymore. And now that he's got a little more influence than I thought, I don't find it as interesting anymore. But so, like, how are some of these companies able to thread that needle of free speech versus hate content? Yeah, I mean, it's tough. Yeah. The thing to understand about these companies, though, is that they're platforms. And so from a business perspective and, quite frankly, a moral perspective, it's in their best interest to have as broad of a use um, as possible. They yeah. don't want to silence voices. They want to give access to as many people as possible. So most of them have kind of drawn similar lines, which is that we're going to censor content or remove content that leads to violence. Yeah. For some companies, they define a little differently. Uh Facebook, I'd say, has a little bit more of a wide definition, broad definition of that than Spotify. Mm -hmm. Facebook does not necessarily consider a lot of content that we would think, quite frankly, is hate content, is hate content. I mean, Mark Zuckerberg said that in an interview a few weeks ago. He said a Holocaust denier's uh, posts wouldn't get taken down, even though he condemns them. Um, so clearly, Spotify has drawn a line here. They say that what Alex Jones says is considered hate content. Well, it's sort of like, you know, there's the First Amendment free speech thing, and I'm, you know, I'm as on board with that as anybody should be, right? But it's, but it's also kind of like, at what point do you do you admit that these things are just full on out and out lies? They're just lies. They don't admit. So that's the key here: is that when you are 
saying that you're a news organization, mm. the protections for the press are very strong in the United States. This is one of the problems that actually we're having with the Trump stuff with American media that owns National Enquirer. Sure, yeah. Is that protections for media companies, even if they're considered tabloids or hyperbolic, sensationalist or fake news, those protections, if people claim to be news media, can be really, really high. So what mm. is Facebook going to do? Well, one could say, all right, you should just let them have the platform to post, but mm -hmm. don't let it spread. So you will downrank it in the algorithm. Maybe you'll take away their advertising rights. Facebook is kind of leading towards that direction. Oh, that's interesting. Yeah, so you can come to the platform and you could speak you could post, but it doesn't mean your message is going to actually travel anywhere. Get out there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, it's sort of like the way I see it, and, then I, and I think the way that a lot of people see it, they're putting profit over responsibility, right? Because Facebook is going to and has been and, will, and looks like they will continue to make money off of this type of stuff, whether it's Holocaust denying or – you know, uh, QAnon stuff. It's a very, it's not a money thing, and I'll tell you why. Okay. It's a very small amount of money. Okay. The amount of money that Facebook's making off of news, and I don't mean to be, you know, bearish or like defending them. I'm just no, no, trying no. to walk I... you through what they think. Yeah. Uh, the amount of money that they make off of news is actually really small. Mm -hmm. The where they see the problem, the reason why they're taking these actions is because they actually morally don't know the line, and I'll tell you why. If you look at some of the radical views that came out of the Middle East during the Arab Spring. Mm -hmm. There would be a lot of people that would say, there's no business for this type of, this call to action here. But mm -hmm. it led to the Arab Spring, right? It was the first time those types of people were able to collect mm -hmm. and have a voice. And what Facebook doesn't want to do is just make any calls on what one person considers to be fake or outlandish and what one person doesn't. And it's, it's a scalable policy, it's broad. Sure. But the problem is, it can lead to violence or it can lead to mass disinformation that's why Facebook, quite frankly, is just like, we're going to just downrank the news. We're not going to tell you what you can't post, but we're just not going to let it go viral anymore. So let me ask you this. Why is it that Spotify is able to make that sort of distinction versus... 70 million you know, subscribers, mostly domestic here in the States. They don't have to worry about scaling their policies the same way. I mean, mm. Facebook's reaching 2 billion plus people. Yeah. It's a whole nother ball game. They've got, if you talk to them about how they're making these decisions, they got people in 50 countries speaking hundreds of dialects, trying to manage, manage the nuances of what's culturally acceptable. Spotify has to deal with that to an extent, but not nearly the same extent. It's just so fascinating to me. And like there has been, uh, you know, with Twitter, I think the most recent thing was the shadow banning mm -hmm. story, which sort of turned out to be a little bit of BS, yeah. right? But like now you have have uh, specifically Republican lawmakers that are kind of coming out and saying, like, we want to be better represented. We want to uh, be featured in these results better, search results better. What obligation does Twitter, Facebook, any of this stuff, what obligation do they have to um, – I sort of think of the fairness doctrine, right? Like you've got to give both sides equal time. They have no, they they have no, no obligation, obligation. But the the thing is they want to accrue as wide of a use base as yeah, possible. Yeah, 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 That's really their business model. And how do you do that? It's by not alienating anyone. So if you were to you know pick a side or you know elevate certain content from one viewpoint over another, you might uh, consequentially end up alienating users, which would impact how big you can grow. So that's why Facebook – doesn't like to make a lot of judgment calls. It's just they don't want to, quite frankly, be seen as censoring any point of view. 
Meanwhile, Facebook has a bit of a problem. We talked earlier in the show about how Apple hit $1 trillion. Facebook has gone the other direction. Uh, at, at one point, they were down like almost 25%. Yep. I mean, a quarter of their business just, just, yep. just the bottom fell out of it. And so uh, the tough part for me uh, in watching the reaction is everyone was saying, oh, this is fallout from privacy mm -hmm. scandals. That's it's actually a much more big fundamental problem with their product. So oh. Facebook's chief uh, financial officer, Dave Wenner, and Sheryl Sandberg, their CEO, who runs mm. sales and operations, mm. has been saying for quarters, expect ad revenue and, quote, to come down meaningfully because the newsfeed is saturated and ad loads have stopped, meaning that they can't fit any more ads in Facebook. So what happened was when they missed revenue, which by the way, these companies are so big, they don't they miss revenue. It's kind of intentional warning. Sure, sure. We did this story about Tesla yesterday, how they were like a huge drop, but they were kind of like, we knew this was coming. Right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They can kind of fudge it, but what they basically were saying to investors is that the advertising growth wall is here on Facebook. Mm. We have exceeded. We've saturated our user penetration in the U.S. By the way, the U.S. is by far the most lucrative digital market. Sure. So it's not like if they even were to grow outside of the U.S., there's a lot more money to be made, maybe a little in Europe, but GDPR is killing them there. Mm. So the scare from Wall Street was that Facebook's no longer going to be that money machine. Now, what's Facebook doing? Instagram and WhatsApp. That's where they're investing their That's resources. It. WhatsApp and Messenger, they're starting to add some advertising and monetization opportunities. And then we know Instagram is just an advertising cash cow. So, so much. That's what they're doing. I, uh, like, I essentially don't use Facebook anymore. Like, I'll go on once every yep. several days just to see if I've missed anything, right? Um, Twitter, I've eased off of Twitter a lot. Yeah, a lot of journalists have been saying a that. A lot. I got to tell you something. Best thing I've ever done for my mental health. So good. <laughs> like, I got off of it for a couple of months, even. It just completely rewired how I digest this stuff. Yeah. But Instagram, I'm still kind of addicted to Instagram, Same. which bums me out because it's like still a Facebook product. Yeah, it is. I mean, but you know what's crazy is it didn't have to be. One of the things you're hearing in Washington now is antitrust policymakers mm. are saying, what? We let Facebook acquire Instagram for a billion dollars? And now the return is about $7 billion a year in revenue. Like, wow. how are we letting that happen? Same thing with WhatsApp. I mean, WhatsApp's not profitable, but they let Facebook mm -hmm. buy WhatsApp for $19 billion in 2014 when it wasn't profitable. Like, like there's there's got to be a reason Facebook wanted that bad. So that's the new conversation in Washington is, all right, so Facebook's main apps died out. But from a competition perspective, our antitrust laws here are so relaxed, so laissez-faire that we've let this giant continue to grow through acquisitions that, quite frankly, may have been anti-competitive. There's not a clear answer for this, but what's the future of Facebook? I mean, I, I know that's a really broad question, yeah. right? But, like, let's talk about the immediate future. Because, like, I think between Mark Zuckerberg coming up to Capitol Hill and all this talk about, you know, search results not being as good as some people would like them to be and hate speech that's being spread around on social media and all of this stuff. Where does Facebook go from there? I mean, I look at what Apple and more so Google have done, which is they've really diversified their revenue streams. Google calls them other bets. <laughs> and they create an umbrella company in Alphabet. Mm -hmm. They use Google as the cash cow with search advertising. And they invest in things that could turn out to be massive money makers. You know, for Google, it's Waymo and driverless cars. It's yeah. Nest and home security. It's Verily and health products. 
we don't see much of that in Facebook. All of their products are only diversified to the extent of messaging, gaming, and social media. Yeah. But we've seen a little bit of efforts to get even further. So you notice they've done things like food delivery. So I think the future right. of Facebook is create more of an umbrella company structure the way that you've done it with Apple, uh, with Google. Alphabet. Yeah, yeah. And then start to invest in other bets that could take off. We know actually what Facebook's other bet is. They've said it. It's cryptocurrency. So they they started to say, to bet on that. I, I have to say, cryptocurrency is the first thing where I go. Yeah, I'm too old for that. <laughs> I'm like, it, it's not for me. No matter like, I, and, I, and I hate to sound like an old man, but like, I look at, I'm just going. I don't understand it. I don't want any part of it. <laughs> I don't really want to hear about it. I just, just, it is just all around. It is just not for me. You know, you're not alone. I think people hear blockchain and crypto and Bitcoin, and they're just like, I don't even want to hear about it. But then there's yeah. other people who are saying like. This could be the next dot com bubble. So who knows, Peter? Who knows? I know. I I mean, I I, I was very alarmed the other day because my mother, my sweet mother, <laughs> who doesn't have Facebook or any of that stuff, uh, she comes. She goes. Uh, you know, we had this uh, one of our neighbors over for dinner, and he was telling me, you know, he's just really big into Bitcoin. And it was just like, <laughs> Mom, I can't help you with no. that. I can <laughs> help you with a own, lot Mom. of things, but you, if you want to go down that rabbit hole, you are on your <laughs> own. I am not here to help you with that. But that's kind of fascinating that a, that a company as big as Facebook would sort of bank on they that. Put, there's a lot of other bets, but that's sure. the biggest one that I know that they're also really investing. And, of course, AR and VR. So they've you know bought Oculus a couple of years ago. They say that's the future. It's unfortunately just we're a ways behind until that becomes really democratized and people yeah. start to really use it. Also, something that I'm just not really. <laughs> just no, just, not just for no. Me. Like sure, go ahead, go do it. That's fine, no judgment. But like Pokemon Go is the extent to which I go there. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> I had fun with Pokemon Go, but that's like so innocent. I don't have to put on these big goggles and. Totally. All this stuff. Totally. Yeah. That's why people think AR, though, is the future over VR, though. It's less invasive. You just hold your phone up over something, and you can experience reality differently. Whereas VR, it's like the goggles and the whole thing. It's I get too dizzy. Much. I get motion sickness just sitting in a chair. Too much. There's some good healthcare implications for it. Sure. You know, PTSD and all that. But sure. the average consumer is not strapping on that headset every day. No. No. My kid has one of those little VR headsets. It's just like, you're on your own, kid. <laughs> I don't want any part of it. Like, I'm over here with the dog. You yeah, stay over leave there. Leave me alone. <laughs> I'm going to sit here and watch regular television with the dog. You can put your goggles on. Okay? Um, I want to ask you about, uh, you have several pieces up at Axios, axios.com. Sarah Fisher is our guest. Uh, about Les Moonves. <sighs> this... Uh, this is a crazy story. Insane. Um, you know, I guess it was around October of last year that the Me Too movement really started to pick up steam. It, I don't want to say it began with Harvey Weinstein. It's been going on for generations. But uh, this is when it really started to become uh, a, a moment in, in our discourse where we were t talking about this more openly. And here we are almost a year later, and it still... Uh, Bad men are getting caught up in it. This time, CBS chief executive, the head, the face of CBS, Les Moonves. What exactly has he been accused of? So Ronan Farrow authored a piece for The New Yorker last Friday in which he details the accounts of six women who say that Les Moonves sexually harassed them to various degrees, three of which are on the record. And so some of the examples are forcible kissing and touching, mm -hmm. shoving person, uh, pushing them so that they would kiss him, 
And then what these women allege, yeah, is that in denying his advances, this impacted their careers. And so here's the tricky part. Les Moonves has been at CBS since 1995. He was the chief executive of entertainment. He became chairman in 2016. He's credited for turning around the once-failing broadcaster to become the more lucrative sister company to its former sister Viacom, which at the time, cable was the king, you know? So here's the problem. Les is on the board. Mm-hmm. Les is a chief executive. Yeah. Les wants independence from his parent company. It's called National Amusements. They okay. also own Viacom. And the fear now, right now, with the board and the company is without Les spearheading this fight, they're in a fierce legal battle, by the way. It's been taken to court. We might not get our independence. We might have to merge with Viacom. We don't want that. We oh, don't want wow. to be tied to these long tail channels. So the fear is if less goes, the merger happens. And that could be why some analysts think the board is very adamant about keeping him there. And if you listen to yesterday's earnings call, I'm sure you saw it all over the Internet. It was bizarre. Really? They had Les Moonves open up the call. He sounds relaxed. He sounds like there's no problem at all. And you want to hear the weirdest thing? Not a single analyst asked him about it. So it wasn't addressed at all? Elephant in the room. It was the weirdest thing I've ever heard. That's insane. And the analysts, I mean, that's insane. It was embarrassing. The yeah. analysts used this flowery language. They were like, great quarter, guys. Like, love what the advancements in streaming are. It's like, look, I know that the management for CBS said at the top of the call, we're only going to be talking about our earnings. Sure. Doesn't mean you can't ask. Right. In fact, Somebody's you do ask. ask. You and, got and to. here's the thing. If you're an investor, you got to know what's happening. In fact, Moffat Nathanson, which is considered one of the top Wall Street analyst firms for media, tech, and telecom rated CBS uninvestable. Good grief. Yes. So why aren't analysts asking about this? It's it's hard. And one thing I'll say is, look, these companies, they pick and choose which analysts are going to answer questions, right? Sure, sure. We know which ones Disney doesn't like. We know which ones CBS doesn't like. But it was still an embarrassment. And the fact that Les Moonves, after six allegations, remember, Charlie Rose, others, they were suspended like day of allegations. Yeah, yeah, no, I remember the the Matt Lauer situation. We done. came we came in here in the, one morning, and all of a sudden there's a statement: Matt Lauer is done. 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 I mean, just, no ramp up to it at all. Just done. Done. And so the fact that Les Moonves, not only is he still standing, right, but he is leading earnings calls. So I think that there's a – and by the way, the Ronan Farrow piece detailed a culture of toxicity and misogynistic behavior. By the way, yeah, he speaks he, to that. He, is, he has admitted – Les Mood has even talked about, like, this has been going on for, like, three decades. Yeah. I mean, I was shocked by that, too. The headline of our piece when we read the Ronan Farrow thing yeah. was – Moonves admits to unwarranted unwanted advances. I yeah. mean, so not only does the all, guy. It goes all the way back to the 1980s. All the way back. So there's a problem here. And yeah. I think that the, the scary thing is that it's not just Moonves. They're looking into allegations of other management knowing, top management knowing about instances of sexual harassment, not doing anything. What clearer sign are you signaling to the world yeah. that, hey, we don't take this seriously than a guy who was accused of 30 years, six incidents of sexual harassment? Leading an earnings call like there's nothing wrong. Like I mean, it's pretty wrong. amazing. And now here's what's next. Apparently, The Hollywood Reporter says Ronan Farrow's coming out with another Les Moonves piece in about a week or two. Really? Yes. So we'll have our eyes peeled for that. You know, it's just, I mean, how do these guys get away with it is a question that always like rattles around when we talk about this stuff. How do these guys get away with it? We have a very detailed piece of a guy who did it for decades 
admitted to it, and then gets to keep his job, and then gets to go on as if there's nothing wrong. You know, if I had just tuned in, I would have thought you were describing the president of the United States. (laughs) Fair. Totally fair. (laughs) Totally fair. But that's the thing, right? Like, there really is no accountability. Or I should say it's it's selective accountability, right? Like, some people lose their job and careers over it. Mm -hmm. Some people get to live on plow forward with their jobs yeah i mean it's amazing one thing though that we're going to keep an eye on is that cbs has hired it's appointed a special board Mm -hmm. it's hired two law firms to carry out separate investigations Mm -hmm. and so i wouldn't be surprised if after their investigations if they find something conclusive then they say look now we have to address it well that's kind of what i wanted to ask like they they, have they looked into this has there been a report have they said anything about sticking by they said they've never gotten a complaint which look it's the ceo and chairman of the company who's going to go to hr and say something that's one of the problems yeah but at the end of the day if what is going to happen at the outcome of this investigation is they're either going to find that les moonves did something that goes beyond their threshold Mm -hmm. they say it's too dangerous to have him here for the well-being of our employees or it doesn't meet that threshold. And if it doesn't mean that threshold, either pressure from society pushes out Les Moonves or Les Moonves remains. And if he does remain, I think this is a turn in the Me Too movement. Yeah. From going from a moment of there was zero room for questioning whether or not allegations were true yeah. to, eh, you could probably get away with you it. Can skate. Yeah, you and can that's skate. that there's a lot of people arguing in the Me Too movement that it's actually you know, uh, an unfair time for some guys because they're being alleged to things and they can't defend themselves. Um, But, you know, the scary part about this whole movement is that there's just no way to tell. I mean, people have investigations, et cetera, but it's word against word in many cases. And so we'll see what happens here with Les Moomis. But I hope this doesn't turn the Me Too movement into something, um, quite frankly, that's not taken as seriously, especially on Wall Street where the problem is so pervasive. Yeah. I mean, you talk about not just Moonves, but other executives. I mean, that's got to be the story in so many different companies. Yeah, and industries. And, and, and industries. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Across the board, right? Totally. Like, we tend to talk about the ones that are entertainment and, and political and media and all that type of stuff because of the highest profile. But, like, you know, if a guy like Les Moonves can get away with it, anyone can get anyone away with can it. Get away there with is it. this kind of, I refer back to this all the time when I'm having these conversations. There is a Charlize Theron movie in 2010 called North Country and it's okay. about female minors. Oh yeah 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 yeah. And it's about sexual that. harassment there. And one of the things they talk about is these minors are like 90 stories beneath ground, right? right. Who are they going to go to? What are you going to do? And they try to go to a supervisor like there's no structure in place. Now at least these companies are in very progressive cities. Sure. You would think that you can, you know, say something to your boss as apparently people had been trying to communicate at 6 minutes and you would think that you could get your voice heard and to hear that even in some of the most progressive forward-thinking places and quite frankly uh forward progressive thinking industries right yeah. media is considered to be highly technological etc you would think that there would be action taken swiftly and this is pretty much sending a really low bar yeah sarah fisher she's the media reporter for axios read her great work at axios.com thank you so much for coming in thanks for having me happy friday uh we'll we'll keep an eye on it and see what happens the future of les moonves uh it's a fascinating story and and sarah you've been covering it really really well at axios.com my name is peter ogburn i'm sitting in for bill we're gonna take a very very quick break and we will come back talk some news of the day live video bill's commentary the best clips from the show all in one place 
youtube.com slash the bill press show you got it it is the bill press show here on a friday august 3rd yes indeed ladies and gentlemen sitting in for bill press today do not forget that we are on twitter at bp show at bp show i am also on twitter at peter ogburn at peter ogburn uh, thank you all so very much for giving me uh, some comments already. Uh, lots of comments on Les Moonves. Uh, Walt Walker says, Moonves possibly getting a pass is disgusting, but what about POTUS? What are we showing our children and the world? Yes, I agree. Jen Jen says, Les Moonves said Trump is not good for the USA, but it is sure good for him. That's the other thing, right? Like these guys are just cashing in on this type of stuff. Uh, also, Joey Olivia um, says, because I got Weebay in here with me, uh, my dog. Uh, he says, awesome dog. I volunteer at Animal Welfare League seven days a week, five hours a day. I love them dogs. Yeah, I do too. I'm a big fan of my dogs. But then oh, Joey. That's Joey from Chicago. Wait, is that our buddy Joey from Chicago? Yes. Hey, that Joey, is from, Joey Chicago. from Chicago. Joey also says, after that nice comment about my dog, he goes, Peter, are you Amish? What's with the billy goat look? Your beard looks like crap. That, that, that's, what he, that's what he just tweeted me. Joey. You know, Joey, not. At least he used to call in and say this to, like, Fair. Like, I'll give, Joe, I'll, I'll, yeah. give, I'll give Joey credit. <laughs> like, Joey's been fairly consistent on being no BS, and I appreciate that. But is a billy goat look. Uh, do I look Amish? Well, you do love climbing mountains, Peter. I like to climb mountains like a billy goat. What? Amish? Nah. I'm just going to let it roll off. Everybody always comments on Twitter. I'm, I'm much more fragile than I appear. You know this about me. But that's okay. We'll be all right. Anyway, if you have any comments about uh, the news of the day or about my dog or my look, uh, feel free to find us on Twitter at BP Show or uh, me personally uh, at Peter Ogburn. I'm reading them both. So don't think you can slide one past me and put one up <laughs> on BP Show like I won't see it because I'm watching like a hawk, like a bearded hawk. <laughs> oh, my gosh. <laughs> um, let's talk some news of the day. This just, again – you know, our big our big boy was at it yesterday. Our big, dumb, wet-brained boy was at it yesterday. He was at a rally in Pennsylvania. I, you know, I just want to play a couple of clips because he did go completely off the reservation yesterday. Like, he certainly had his moments. But I want to play a couple of different clips because he's still – he's the most thin-skinned, defensive child I've ever seen in my life. And yesterday in Pennsylvania – an area he knows really, really well. In fact, he showed us how well he knows it, knows it by uh, talking about all the cities he's gone to. The workers of Scranton and Bethlehem and Allentown and Wilkes-Barre were the backbone of American might. Wilkes-Barre. Wilkes-Barre. Now, look, I don't want to get too elitist about this because I, I mean, I know a lot of people don't necessarily know how to pronounce Wilkes. It's W-I-L-K-E-S dash B-A-R-R-E. But it's pronounced Wilkesbury. Wilkesbury, Pennsylvania. Okay. It's maybe fairly... the general person doesn't know it, but the president should and point. he should have a handler that 
is prepping him on these things. Right. There's a certain amount of preparation that should go into these things. If you're going to go to a town, right? Like, it's like Spinal Tap. It's like, thank you very much, <laughs> Cleveland. Like, you should know. You should know. Or if you don't know, you should be surrounding yourself with people that do know. Yeah. Just write a note. Spell it phonetically. We do it all the time here. Like if we have guests that have, you know, uh, uh, unconventional spellings on names that might be a little hard to pronounce, we just spell it phonetically because it doesn't matter. Just write it out. Wilkes-Barre. Where's Hope Hicks when you need her? Right? Hope Hicks is a member of the resistance, as you know. She left. She's joined the hashtag <laughs> She's joined resistance. The hashtag resistance. Uh, but then he also goes on, you know, still people are upset about his summit in Helsinki with uh, Vladimir Putin. Who knows where that could all go, where that could end up. But people still definitely uh, give a rip. Donald Trump talked about it yesterday uh, in Pennsylvania. In Helsinki, I had a great meeting with Putin. We discussed everything. I had a great meeting. I had a great meeting. We got along really well. By the way, that's a good thing, not a bad thing. That's a really good thing. Now, we're being hindered by the Russian hoax. It's a hoax, okay? Shut up. Shut up. Can we also zoom out for a moment and just realize that we are within 100 days of a midterm election, and the president instead of going out and supporting candidates, you know, whatever. He's out there holding this dumb Make America Great Again rally, promoting himself when yeah. he's not even up for re-election for another two years. Yeah. Yeah. We live in hell. We live in hell. Uh, and, like, look, on the Russia situation and the Helsinki summit, you could potentially make an argument, yes, it is good. It's a good thing for us to get along with Vladimir Putin, or at least be on good terms. But you can't just go around and make friends with bad people all the time when you're the leader of the alleged free world. That's just not how this works. You can't just go without precondition and have a two-hour meeting with no record of it. We have no idea what our big dumb boy said when he was in a meeting with Vladimir Putin. We have no clue. And so there should be some accountability and there should be some skepticism about our relationship with Vladimir Putin. That that seems pretty obvious to me. And the same thing goes for North Korea, which he also crowed about last night. And listen to how he talks about this. This dick, this idiot. I go home, I see my wife, I said, honey, we're going to get the greatest. I just did something so great today, you know? I just stopped missiles from being launched every two seconds <laughs> in Korea. Yeah, Th thanks a lot. Missiles, which are still being built, confirmed, didn't stop the missile production in North Korea, confirmed. Uh so, congratulations on having a good relationship with Kim Jong-un, a, a full-force full dictator, and Vladimir Putin, uh, also a dictator, who, by the way, is still trying to sway and meddle and uh, wreak havoc on our democracy and our election. 
and succeeding. And succeeding. I mean, well, I mean, it's I mean, it's hard to not succeed when nobody's putting up a, when the other side isn't putting up a fight. Certainly, but Donald I think Trump's a lot not of doing times anything. This is being phrased as Russia and Putin are trying to do this, but they have successfully done it. Yeah, it's done. I mean, it's it's, it's happening. Uh, so that that is that is where the president spent uh, his evening last night in Pennsylvania, crowing about all the great stuff that he's done. Also, yesterday on that front, Sarah Huckabee Sanders talked about the uh, uh, protection of our elections and, uh, you know, with regards to Russia. Since the beginning of his administration, President Trump has implemented a whole-of-government approach to safeguard our nation's elections. The president has made it clear that his administration will not tolerate foreign interference in our elections from any nation, state, or other dangerous actor. Like, does anybody believe that? Does anybody believe that? I do not. I do not believe that. She doesn't even try to hide it. She phrases it as since the beginning of his presidency. Yeah. He's been doing this. Yeah. I mean, come on, guys. That's crazy. And by the way, that's not the craziest thing that happened at the White House press briefing yesterday. Uh, so there was a real we, we've talked about this all week because it started in, on Tuesday night when Donald Trump was in Florida. He was campaigning for Ron DeSantis, and which of course turned into another like "Make America Great Again" rally, right? Like it's Obviously. it's al- it's always hidden under it, this. Everything like, revolves around yeah, him, right? Always. He's the sun. It's always like, oh, I'm going to campaign for such and such, and he's like, hey, go out and vote for such and such. By the way, I think black people have smaller brains than white people. Like he just immediately goes into like a tangent. Yep, that's just how it goes. And so he was in Florida. Talking about uh, uh, the the media. He again bashed the media. We played the clip of Jim Acosta reporting live uh, uh, from Florida with chants of CNN sucks and horrible things about the media going on in the background. Uh, Donald Trump called uh, the, the free press that we have here in America the enemy of the people. Quote. Enemy of the people. That is who he views or how he views the American media, which is one of the greatest. Inst- I mean, look, this media's got a lot of problems, but one of the greatest institutions that we have that set us apart from other countries. We have a free and fair media. And just because the media happens to report things that you don't like because you did dumb stuff doesn't mean that the media is bad. That is that is essentially not essentially it's full on it's fascism that's how fascist places are run you just completely beat down the free media so that you can create your own narrative. So, you know, yesterday Jim Acosta was at the White House press briefing, and I'm I'm for the most part I'm lukewarm on on, on Jim Acosta right like I I think he's doing a, a good enough job and I and I I think it's unfair that. Uh, the president and the White House have made Jim Acosta into this like scapegoat. He's the guy who uh, who gets completely beat up by the Trump administration. But yesterday at the at the White House press briefing, he put out there he mentioned to Sarah Huckabee Sanders again. You know, like look, Donald Trump um, called me Jim Acosta 
and the American free media uh, enemy of the people. And to give Sarah Huckabee Sanders a chance to sort of push back on that. And here Sarah Huckabee Sanders talks about, like, you know, the media being under attack. Oh, wait, hang on. Do we want to listen to the whole clip, Peter? Let's just or... have those those three clips okay, that you okay, cut okay. up separately. I don't, we don't need the whole thing. All I think right, we've so... got it pretty much. So, like, the first one, uh, she talked. She even brought up the White House Correspondents okay, yeah, Dinner. Yeah, got yeah it. let's do that. When I was hosted by the Correspondents Association, of which almost all of you are members of, you brought a comedian up to attack my appearance and call me a shut traitor up, to my own gender. Shut up! Shut up! I'm so tired of that! Nobody attacked her appearance! Nobody attacked her appearance! That is a lie! And it's so dumb that people keep bringing that up. Her appearance wasn't attacked at all. I remember that the outrage was over the specific word traitor. Yes. Which I stand behind. You are a traitor. You are a traitor. There was a comment that made a remark about Sarah Huckabee Sanders' makeup, but it wasn't about her personal appearance. It was about burning uh, 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 burning through so many lies that you use the ash from all of these lies to create a smoky eye. Was the line. I'm, I'm paraphrasing a little bit, but that was the thing. Not about... Which is still funny, by the way. Which is still funny. And that's not to say, like, <laughs> oh, her makeup is bad. It's just that she happens to wear makeup. Look, no one has to criticize her appearance because there are a million other things to criticize totally. about her. Look, criticize her appearance or don't criticize her appearance. Frankly, I don't care. But that's not the point. That's don't, not that's what happened. That's not the point. That that's dilutes not what happened. the critique of her as a human, awful... Like, an awful human being who is traitorous. Yes. But that's, like, all this talk about how her appearance was attacked, nobody at the White House Correspondents Center attacked her appearance full stop. So stop break, stop mentioning it. There was this outrage about it after it happened, and she's still out there lying about it, and it never happened. She then goes on to talk about how she's the first press secretary to have to get Secret Service protection. As far as I know, I'm the first press secretary in the history of the United States that's required Secret Service protection. Waste of American taxpayer dollars. Um, does anybody, did anybody take a moment to think about the fact that she gave that idiotic statement in the James Brady briefing room, which was named after a press secretary that took a bullet for Ronald Reagan. Does the irony lost on any of you that she's talking about how she is the most, uh, uh, she's had the hardest time as press secretary and things are just not fair for me. And James Brady gave up his ability to walk because he took a bullet for the president. She's speaking from the podium in the James Brady briefing room. James Brady, former press secretary for Ronald Reagan, who took a bullet. But yeah, she wasn't able to eat the rest of her meal and was asked to leave a restaurant. And that's just as bad as taking a bullet. Get out of here! Make me sick. Then she talked about how... Here, here's the here's the the long and short of this whole thing. This is why the whole thing drives me completely insane, right? Because it's not that hard to just say, look, the the the, the press is clearly not the enemy of the people. We got a lot of problems with the way that you got. I'm just speaking to Sarah Huckabee Sanders here, right? We got a lot of problems with the the way you guys report stories. Okay, we don't like some of the negative stories that you put out there about about us. 
Um, but the, is the press the uh, enemy of the uh, 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 of the people? No, we don't believe that. But we have a lot of problems with how you do things. Totally acceptable answer. But she still goes on. She blames the media. She says the base of the media is asking for this. In that final clip, she sort of says, it's your fault. The media continues to ratchet up the verbal assault against the president and everyone in this administration. And certainly we have a role to play, but the media has a role to play for the discourse in this country as well. Show me one example of the media throwing verbal assault out at the president. I guess it depends on what your definition of verbal assault is. Verbal assault. Verbal assault is if you are uh, uh, watching these Trump rallies, any of these reporters that are out there trying to report and having people come up to them and say horrible borderline dangerous things to them. That is verbal assault. Saying that the president paid a porn star, hundreds of thousands, porn stars. Yes, plural here. Plural. Let's just say women, multiple women, paid multiple women hundreds of thousands of dollars uh, to keep their story quiet. That's not verbal assault. It's just a reporting a fact that you don't like. And that's the problem. This goes back all the way to day one of Donald Trump being president. They still hang on to this idea uh, that there was a reporter who talked about the Martin Luther King bus that was taken out of the uh, Oval Office. Turns out that wasn't true. The reporter immediately corrected that. Uh, but it wasn't a lie. It was a mistake. And it was sloppy, and he should have gotten some grief for it. And he did. But to go out there and knowingly, willingly spin yarns and tell lies every single day. What was the number yesterday? Bill talked about it in the like in the first uh, year and a half of the presidency. Donald Trump has told something like 7.2 lies per day. It was something like that. I can't remember the exact thing, but it was an astronomical number of lies. Per day. And not just like, I wore a black shirt when really he wore a white shirt. It's right. like egregious yeah. lies major lies yeah. every single day every single day <sighs> so this whole war against the media i think uh the trump administration is having not nearly as hard of a time as they should be having with this. I'll put it that way. Like they should, they should absolutely be embarrassed to come out and face the media, uh, but they have no shame, and therefore that is not going to happen. Meanwhile, uh, August fourteenth, August fourteenth, that is the big day. What big day? Right, you're asking. That is the day that unhinged an insider's account of the trump white house will be published the author is amarosa amarosa manigal newman said she was writing a book we now know the publication date it's august 14th so just in a couple of weeks not even a couple of weeks she, remember, was um, one of the early uh, contestants on The Apprentice who some, somehow wove that into a career of, um, I don't know what she does. I don't know, I don't what, know what she does. She does but I, don't know, I don't know what she did between The Apprentice and The White House. I don't know either, but all I can remember, like, what I think of every time I think of her is the fact that she wanted to have her 
like some of her wedding festivities at the White House. At the White House. House. (laughs) Yeah, at the White House. She uh, became, she wanted to become um, an assistant, a White House assistant to the president after Donald Trump uh, uh, was elected. She worked in the Office of African American Outreach Mm -hmm. for the Donald Trump campaign. Um, The Daily Mail, dailymail.com, got some excerpts from the book. I was hoping we'd get an advanced media copy. Where's our copy? Yeah, right? Well, she writes about full-on makes the case that Donald Trump is not mentally well. Shock of all shocks, right? But, like, for a former Trump staffer to come out and say this is kind of a big deal. She talks specifically about... um, you know, with the firing of James Comey, she says she and Hope Hicks uh, went over several times why this would be a bad idea. And she says that the moment for her, which was this was pretty early on, there was a Lester Holt interview, which is now sort of an infamous moment in the Trump presidency because there are so many things there, especially regarding uh, uh, James Comey. Amorosa says, quote, throughout this erratic and contradictory interview, I kept thinking, oh, no, oh, no, this is bad. And this is someone who, I mean, she's known Donald Trump for, hell, 20 years? Yeah, well over a decade. Well over a decade. Um, yeah, like I, I like I remember, yeah, it's been like 15 years since the that she was on The Apprentice. Uh, so she's known him for that long. Um, she worked with him closely. How closely she worked with him in the White House, who knows? How closely anybody worked with him in the White House, who knows, right? But she was in the White House. Uh, and she said that as she worked with him more and more in the White House, it became very, very clear that he is not well. Uh, quote, Donald rambled. He spoke gibberish. He contradicted himself from one sentence to the next. Hope Hicks had gone over the briefing with him a dozen times, hitting the key point that if he had that that he had fired this was about the Lester Holt interview, hitting the key point that he had fired Comey based on the recommendation by the DOJ, which the vice president and other surrogates had been reinforcing for days. But of course, when he talked to Lester Holt, he called Comey a showboat, revealed that he asked Comey whether he was under investigation for alleged ties to Russia. He also asked Comey whether he was um, uh, still under investigation. So like this is someone who knows Donald Trump very well and she says I don't think he's mentally well. Which if you've been paying attention at all it's clear he is not well. Not well at all. Anyway uh you know, whether or not this book has an impact or not, everybody's going to run to their corners and try and, like, you know, hash this out and and, and form their defenses and all that stuff and whatever. Uh, one final thing I want to play, and we're going to get into this more for sure. The, the Ivanka Trump clip, Ray, uh, uh, do we have time to play that really quickly? Ivanka Trump speaking yesterday with Axios. She was asked about the child separation story. Here's what she had to say. Do you think that we're the enemy of the people? Sorry? Do you think the media is the enemy of the people? No, I do not. Okay, so she first of all talked about the media criticism, but there's also the question of this child detention uh, situation. 
Got a low point in the White House for a number of your colleagues was the kids at the border issue. What is your view of that? Yes, um, that was a low point for me as well. I, I feel very strongly about that. And, um, and I am very vehemently against family separation. What a joke. What a absolute ridiculous joke. First of all, she says that was a low point. Excuse me, it's still going on. It is by no means over. That is not in the past tense. We are currently living in it. Also, Trump, Pence, head of the DHS, Kirsten Nielsen, all these goblins coming out defending uh, the separations of the border. All of a sudden, she can come out and speak about it now? Grotesque. Stay tuned, everybody. Addie Baird from Think Progress is going to join me here. Uh, coming up next, it's the Bill Press Show. My name is Peter Ogburn. Sitting in for Bill Press. Stay tuned. This is the Bill Press Show. Hey, friends. Don't be a stranger. Keep up to date with all of the Bill Press Show happenings around the clock on social media. Here's how. You can follow us on Twitter at BP Show or on Facebook at www.facebook.com slash Bill Press Show, and on YouTube, youtube.com slash The Bill Press Show. And remember, if you haven't already done so, make sure to subscribe to this podcast on iTunes. And while you're there, please rate and review the show. That means a lot to us. And thanks so much for your support. Everything you need to fight the Trump administration. This is The Bill Press Show. Live at YouTube.com slash The Bill Press Show. It is The Bill Press Show. Hi, everybody. Welcome to the August 3rd version of today's program. My name is not Bill Press. My name is Peter Ogburn. <laughs> I'm sitting in for Bill today uh, all day long. We've got one hour left. It's going to be a great show, uh, mostly because... Our friend Addie Baird is in studio. Hi, Addie. Hi. Good morning. So we have to just acknowledge right up front. We've, we've we acknowledged it last hour. Uh, I have my dog here with yes. me. Yes. I'm going out of town <laughs> right after the show, and he's coming with me. And so Where rather are you than guys have to going, it's it, we Bay and I are going out to the Eastern Shore. We're going out to the river. We're gonna go like swimming and chase rabbits and squirrels oh. and ride the cosmic chill wave for the weekend. It's gonna be a lot of fun. But he. He's very needy. You you see. You see that? He's very needy. If you don't pay attention, he'll just come up and headbutt you. And that's just that's just how the rest of the show is going to go. Does everyone who watches the show? Does everyone who listens to the show see the show or are there No, people some people who don't just have... listen. Some people okay. just listen. Come here so for me. people who can't see what's happening, Peter's dog has his face just in our laps yeah. running around. He gets it right up in there. Very cute. He gets right up in there. <laughs> so if you're watching, I've got him up on my lap now cuz he you could you could see him. He's just kind of hanging out. Yeah. He's just kind of hanging out, but he's He's easy peasy. Someone in the chat room said that the dog is very cute, but that it's not a good look when you're petting Weebay and we can't see him. Ooh. <laughs> 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 like he's under the table and my arm is vigorously petting him. And now there's a gif floating out in the interwebs. I'm just kidding. There's not. <laughs> Get this dog away from me. Weebay. Get this dog away from me. Anyway, folks, I'm going to do the rest of the show like this. Let's 
move on. Um, <laughs> taking your comments on any topic at any time on uh, uh, on Twitter at BP Show or at Peter Ogburn. Someone, someone, uh, we already said roasted my uh, my beard. But Joey, it's, it's a little out of control. I mean, it it's needs really a trim. Long. It needs a trim. It's Admittedly, really it needs to get. I need. It's I think about I'm time the only one that's consistently in your corner that's like cheering you on, Thank and you. I'm like, I keep don't going, need Peter. It. It's okay. I mean, it's fine, but it just it needs a trimsies. It needs to be cleaned up. It needs up. a trimsies. It's a little get some flyaways and exactly. things like that. It's you been a couple weeks. To, do you yeah, brush you your beard? Do beards yeah, get naughty? I do brush my beard. I I brush it. Uh, I use beer conditioner three times a week, and I made a beard oil that I use every day. Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. I think this might be Addie's first time hearing your beauty regimen. I got a whole thing. Do you guys want to hear mine? Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah do you follow like a twelve-step face routine? By the way, I have about an eight-step face routine. Okay, I pared mine down to like five. Ooh. You know what I did the other night? Because my my entire family is out of town. It has been out of town all week, and I got my new birch box, and I tried. All of the samples at once. Just everything. Everything. There's like an under eye cream. There's like a Love like a cooling towel. Are you gonna thing. start doing unboxings in your mm. um, Instagram? Like, I should totally do <laughs> stories, that. and then you're so gonna be good. a hashtag totally influencer. That. that would be really good, right? I would watch it. Sure. I think I would watch it, um, and I think that you could actually get a following. <laughs> <laughs> Wait, I want to hear your beauty regimen. What's your okay. deal? Okay, well, so I basically, I was the, it's so, do you remember that uh, Gia Tolentino story in The New Yorker? Like, I do not. a year ago? Okay, so she wrote about the, uh, like, the, like, catharsis of skincare yes. and the, like, hope. Do you remember this, Ray? I do. I am a huge Gia fan. I've been following her since her jazz days. I am a huge Gia fan, too, and this was one of the, like, perf, this was one of the, like, reasons I'm such a huge Gia fan is that she captures something about like the moment in which we live that I hadn't realized yet Mm -hmm. and as soon as I read it I was like that's so true oh wow and so she basically wrote about skincare and the like the that like in our dark times skincare offers this like hope that there is a future for which you might want to look young and have taken care of your skin. And it's a lovely piece. I'm on board with that. It's a lovely piece. Um, I truly don't want to bore our listeners because my little sister will make fun of me with all the, as soon as she hears me talking about all the skincare things. I believe you millennials call it self-care. It's self-care. It's self-care. <laughs> we'll talk about that and many, many other things in just a moment. Hang tight, y'all. On your radio, on TV, and online, this is The Bill Press Show. Indeed, it is The Bill Press Show. My name is Peter Ogburn. I am sitting in uh, for Bill all day today for this last hour of the program. Uh, Just a reminder, we do put uh, the podcast up uh, every single day. Well, not Sunday. We don't put we don't put the Sunday stuff up. But like when we do the show Monday through Friday, we put stuff up. But then we also put bonus content up on Saturdays. And the only way you can do, get it is if you subscribe to our podcast on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts. We're out there, uh, and so we'll put today's show up today. But tomorrow morning we have an interview with comedian Lewis Black. Oh, uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, who was very, very angry during? That's sort of his whole thing. It's his thing. <laughs> his thing. He was very, very angry during George Bush's presidency. He was very, very angry during Barack Obama's presidency. And guess what? 
Spoiler alert. He's angry still now. very, very angry about <laughs> I, Donald Trump. I think that he is still very, very angry, but I think that we heard a different side of him during totally. the 10 minutes. Like, it was a little bit less showy and a little bit more just, like, honest. Yeah. Like, himself. Like, he wasn't using comedy as as the mechanism to express his feelings. Well, it's kind of like, you know, I, I talked about this earlier, and this is this is something that I get all the time, and I'm sure you get as well, right? It's like people who are outside the this business of show hey. where people are like oh this must be really good for you guys you got so much to talk about and it's like yeah i wish i didn't have to talk about the fact that the government is giving psychotropic psychotropic drugs to children who have been separated from their parents i i'd rather not talk about that but we will did you that see, doesn't make me happy uh, i think it was ashley feinberg it was someone at huffpo got um Basically, the uh, a leaked in uh, kind of like all staff New York mag meeting where Jonathan Chait said he's actually happy that Trump won. Did you see that? Yeah, I did. And he was like, maybe that makes me a sociopath. Yeah, yeah. It, definitely it does. does. That makes you a sociopath. It absolutely does. Um, you know, and I, I think that people who think that way are it's I mean, that's the media elite. That you can separate yourself so yes, much from Amen. from the real life implications of this presidency and this Congress and the you know decisions made on state and local levels that are like you said, children are in jail and being yeah. given psychotropic drugs to tranquilize. Them. I mean, look, like we've been doing this show for uh, thirteen years now. Last month was our thirteen year anniversary. We do this show for thirteen years. Uh, the majority of the time that we've been doing the show, Barack Obama was president, and every August we'd be like, "Oh boy, here come the you know the the doldrums of August. We're gonna really have to get creative to find stuff to talk about." And like now we don't have that problem. Man, I wish we had that problem. Right. I wish we had that problem. I wish we didn't have to talk about this stuff. Oh, of the course. horrors and that I are think, going on. I think that you know it's it's one of the particular problems in the United States right now is the way that not only does Jonathan Chait think it's great that Trump won actually despite being this neoliberal columnist who technically should hate him yeah um but cable news has capitalized on him in every possible yeah. way and you know you can't separate the entanglements of of Donald Trump and the cable news news media one of the things I wanted to ask you about uh that I've wanted to talk to you about for a while you did a a, a story about Medicare for all and we've talked about this a lot, um, specifically this week, right? Like, uh, we were talking to Alex Seitzwald about this earlier, who covers the Democrats, yeah. and yeah. how we have never seen an issue that has swung so rapidly. You're seeing mainstream Democrats get on board with this Medicare for all push. And again, I know people are going to get mad, but we think about the election in 2016 and how far... Hillary Clinton would go to try and avoid talking about Medicare for all or yeah. a real health care solution. Right. She just didn't want to talk about it. And now you've got people putting their names on stuff. You've got people uh, 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 totally on board with it. One of the reasons is because it turns out it could save us a lot of money. One of the reasons is it's cost effective. Um, there have wow. been two studies recently. The first was from a Koch-funded think tank, um, which is just fascinating, yeah. that basically found that over the next decade, the United States would spend less 
as a whole on health care if we move to Bernie Sanders' Medicare for All system. Um, this Why is that? Well, <laughs> that is because we spend uh, so much money on health care and because the way that we uh, provide people with care under our current system is not actually efficient and it is not actually effective. It is highly expensive. Um, and moving to a single payer system, we will pay, we will uh, save money on the whole um, because of streamlined administrative costs um, uh, in the United, like within the government, within the actual providers, as the government becomes your, you know, this mass insurance yeah. provider. Yeah. Um, we save money on prescription drugs because you're then able to uh, negotiate drug prices on the whole for an entire country of people. Um, and mostly we save money. It, it is a shift in the way that yeah. we spend. Yeah. Right now, the U.S. national health expenditures are about $3.3 billion per, per year. Or sorry, $3.3 trillion per year. That's right. Sorry, it's still so early. It's okay. Um, I was I, there's no way I was going to correct you because I just don't know. Someone would have. Yeah. <laughs> someone would have tweeted at us. But that that number that came out of this study um, from George Mason was through 32.6 trillion dollars of federal spending over the next 10 years, and people freaked out because that's a huge number. Yeah. That is less than we were going to spend in the United States on healthcare over the next 10 years by about $2 trillion. Good grief. That's crazy. Isn't that wild? It's crazy. Isn't that crazy? It's so, I mean, where do we go with Medicare for All? I mean, are Democrats as a party on board with this now? Um, I started to kind of look back at this. One of the really interesting things is if you go back to the 2016 election and then back another decade-ish, um, and then a little more. Um, Hillary Clinton in 1994 talked about how she believed that by the year 2000, um, we would have a single payer system um, and that it would be beneficial yeah. and that people would be on board. She's telling a very different story a couple decades later. Um, she said during the 2016 election that it would never, ever happen and that we couldn't... Um, for the sake of people in need of life-saving care, we could never move to a single-payer system. Yeah. The party, now that the stranglehold of the Clintons has started to release, yes. has changed remarkably. The co-sponsors on Bernie Sanders' Medicare for All bill... I was blown away by that. It is a, a the Venn diagram between the 2020 presidential contenders and... Bernie Sanders, Medicare for All co-sponsors, is a circle. Yeah. It is, yeah. I believe that there was, uh, when it was all said and done, 17 co-sponsors when it was introduced last fall. Um, Elizabeth Warren, Cory Booker, Kamala Harris. Um, you know, the the list is every person who has ever talked about being a, who's ever in the conversation as a 2020 contender. Yeah. The it's, party has changed remarkably. Two years ago, that would have been unfathomable. Yeah. Unfathomable. And, like, look, whatever, right? It Was Bernie the perfect candidate? Certainly not. But this is one of the issues that, damn it, the centrist Democrats have, have like, they had to loosen their grip on this. They had to, like, 
not lighten up, but they had to get on board. Yeah. They had to get on board or else that's just the end of the Democratic Party. Well, and I think that this is this is sort of I sort of believe that it, there were a lot of Democrats who maybe were there and who maybe uh, heard Bernie Sanders talk about this and thought that makes sense. This was the party of the Clintons until like yesterday. Yeah. So, you know, now that that is changing, the party, I think in good ways, I don't think the Democratic Party has learned all the right lessons no, by not. any means. No, no, no. Certainly but I not. think that this is one that top Democrats seem to have for cynical reasons or earnest reasons. They know that there's no going back. No. No, that's it. I, I I think that's right. Like, what where we go with the party as, as Democrats, right? Like, you've got the centrist Democrats, you've got the far left wing, and all that. But I think that you're right. It can no longer be the party of Bill and Hillary Clinton. Right, right. And the party of Bill and Hillary Clinton is the party of moderation. And yeah. single payer is not radical, but it is not a policy of moderation. As you it's a policy of universal care. As you mentioned, it saves. Trillions of dollars. You don't have to take my word for it. You don't have to take your word for it. Take, take the, the Koch brothers', brothers word exactly. for it. Exactly. I mean, come on. The one other really interesting um, study from this week it looked at the a proposed system in New York State alone. Yeah. Because obviously uh, there are we we hear a lot about California and Vermont. Um, you know, the state legislature is looking to institute single-payer systems within the states themselves. Um, so I used to cover health policy in New York State, actually, so this was fascinating. I've been oh, wow. waiting for this for years. This looked at the New York Health Act, which um, would institute a single-payer system similar to Bernie Sanders in New York State. It would cover all New York residents, including undocumented immigrants. It would eliminate cost sharing, which means you have no copays, no deductibles, no premiums. Your care is free at the point of service. Uh, yes. And yes. it is based on a progressive taxation scheme where the wealthiest people have the highest tax increases. And, uh, you know, people, it found that people making under $105,000, yeah, $105,000. Uh, $1,000 a year uh, could save almost $3,000 a year on their wow. health care. It did wow. find um, it's possible that some people currently on Medicaid could see costs rise because of the shift there. Mm. Um, but uh, New York State would save billions of dollars by 2031. They would be able to insure a million people currently without insurance, and they would be able to provide uh, insurance to uh, one of the things that the the sponsor of this bill pointed out is New York has uh, and the whole country, but New York in particular has an issue with under insurance where people have insurance yeah. that doesn't really get it doesn't them anything. Do, it doesn't do anything for you. And this changes everything. Yeah. Um, so also cost effective, also able to uh, insure millions of people the one issue they flagged that's specific to states uh, and one of a number of issues but one i think that's particularly concerning is that wealthy people and wealthy corporations could just pick up and leave new york to get out of these increased taxes oh, wow. okay which the whole payment scheme falls apart yeah, at yeah, that yeah. point yeah so that's a concerning issue and why you know state level medicare for all uh, or single payer systems might be more difficult to institute this is also i mean illuminating where we are now because like even you know n not to put it all on the shoulders of bill uh, clinton and, and hillary clinton i mean obamacare for as much good as it did 
really showed its flaws early on yeah. because at the end of the day, these drug companies and these uh, uh, corporations are still in charge of your health care. Right, exactly. Like, it made it a little bit easier to, like, get it and deal with them and all of that. I should say a little bit. It made it a lot easier for people to, to, to maneuver those waters. But at the end of the day, they are still in charge. Exactly. This and they know I mean, how to win. We we all remember, uh, you know, there was supposed to be a public option in, in Obamacare, and we don't ever talk about that anymore. Took it off the table. It's not, And that is the bridge to single payer. If Obamacare yeah. was going to be a bridge to single payer, the public option is the start there. Uh, completely. I want to switch gears uh, because r- right before we took a break in the last hour, we played this clip of Ivanka Trump. Yeah. Um, because yesterday... Uh, I don't know if you knew this, but the situation at the border is over. Our our take our like ripping children was away from their really parents. Was that a really dark moment for Ivanka Trump? It was really hard for her. <laughs> oh it was gosh. really really hard for her. Uh, but breaking news: it's no longer a problem. Yeah, that's not true at all. Let me play the <laughs> clip of Ivanka Trump, and then let's talk about. It. Here she is yesterday. This was um, uh, at a at a panel with Axios, and she's asked the question about whether or not this was a low point or a dark point for uh, uh, the administration. A low point in the White House for a number of your colleagues was the kids at the border issue. What is your view of that? Yes, um, that was a low point for me as well. I I feel very strongly about that, and um, and I am very vehemently against family separation. Poor Ivanka. Poor Ivanka. How is she gonna? <clears throat> is she gonna be okay? Uh, no, this is really the end for Ivanka. She can't simply move on. It's not like she has money or wealth or power yeah. or anything. My biggest problem, I have a, there are a lot of problems with this, right? But my biggest problem with this is her insinuation that this was a low point and that we are moving on and it is now over. It yeah, is it's definitely not. not over. It's not over at all. Two important things to note here. My colleagues at Think Progress have done a really, really good job of tracking family reunification. Which is an um, impossible job. It's I mean, that is impossible. It is right. There there are it is a very difficult job, but you don't have to do it if you don't separate families at the border. Sure. Um, right. But basically the Trump administration has only um been reuniting quote unquote eligible children. Uh, some children they have deemed ineligible for reunification. Um, some of them have not been placed with their families, but with other sponsors. This is a really long, slow slog. And, you know, it's good that it's happening. It's good that they're being put put back with their families. Yeah. But the trauma that these families have experienced, they'll never recover from. Um, did you read? I'm sure you read the New York Times piece yeah. about there was a, a kid in Philadelphia. Yeah. Who spent uh, like over two months away from his parents? I think the kid was like six or seven, and sh- mom got the kid back. And the damage that's been done to this kid—right, they're never going to be the same. Never going to be the same. The children are I, never going to be the they're same. They're never going to be the same. I just read another piece. I think it was AP reporting it, but it was like a five-year-old son um, that was still in detention, and he had a call, and finally his dad got in contact with him. And as soon as the kid heard his voice, he said, I hate you for leaving me here and refused to talk to his dad. Right. And kids, kids don't really understand everything no. that they are experiencing. They're they not can't process being, it. Right. They can't. Pro- I mean, you can't process that kind of trauma as a child. You can't process Arguably that kind of trauma as an, as an adult. Right. Sure. 
Right. And so in that way, you know, in the way that a lot of these families are still separated, the families that were separated by the Trump administration are still separated. But by the way, we we found out found that out in the Senate hearing this week. Yep. Like this is not old news. This, this week is, we learned that there are still hundreds of children separated from Yes, their there are hundreds of families still separated. The trauma that these families experience they will never ever recover from and in nope. that way this will never be over. And the other really important thing here is that we didn't move to some humane beautiful, you know, <laughs> We have moved to indefinite family separation. That is also not legal. That is also traumatic for families and children. This is not something that has just, like, gone and we can all move on as a country and heal. And touching on an earlier point where the U.S. government is now deciding which kids are and are not eligible to be reunited with their families, we... I think it was last week, we had Tom Jowitz from um, CAP on, and I think he said it best. Just like we can't trust the government to tell us factually how many children have been taken from their parents, why should we trust the government to determine who is and is not eligible to be reunited with their parents? Exactly. This is all, I mean, this is is something I'm sure that your listeners are pretty good at, but I think it's important to question – for all of us as reporters, as listeners, as just consumers of news and people living in America to question every single thing that this administration tells you. Who's eligible and who's not? Who's reunited and who isn't? What color of shirt the president wore today? Yeah. Like you can't, you have to question everything. everything. Every single thing. Uh, and then the other part of this story, uh, which is unbelievably awful, uh, you have a piece about how a judge has ordered the Trump administration to yeah. stop giving psychotropic drugs to migrant children without consent. What sort of hellscape are we living in? I That story was one that just kind of stopped me in my tracks because yeah. you hear we all hear a lot and you you work hard to make sure that you're not becoming one of those people that's like this is good content but a lot of it you kind of are able to process and move on sure this is one of those stories that i i've had a hard time processing and moving on from um basically there are migrant children being held in centers uh with which the uh trump administration has contracted who are being given psychotropic drugs without the consent of a parent or guardian. And this judge basically found that they're just kind of giving them willy-nilly. Like a kid is being a little too energetic and they're being pinned down and given a tranquilizer. Heaven forbid that a child have a little energy. Heaven forbid. Sap that out of their And that's basically what they're doing. Give them drugs. This is child abuse. This is government-sanctioned child abuse. Oh, this makes me so mad. It's sickening. This makes me so mad. It's sickening. Uh, There you go. That's what your big. That's what your big boy has been doing as president. That's what. That's what he's okay with, and that's what the. And it's not just him. That's. I mean, it's. No, it's not. It's there are hundreds and thousands of people around. This is the system. This is the system that has been created. Right. Okay. Let's talk about the Supreme Court, something that's not much better. No. But, uh, <laughs> uh, 
Uh, you know the thing that's I, I mean I, I don't know why I'm surprised by this, but I am somewhat surprised that you have these Republicans going out there with a straight face and saying like I can't believe these Democrats have the audacity <laughs> to not have a meeting with uh, Judge Judge Kavanaugh, or we would never block a candidate the way that the Democrats are doing right now. This was not that long ago. It was literally like two years ago. Literally. <laughs> it was like two years ago. So Orrin Hatch uh, at a press conference yesterday um, basically was like the part of the stupid partisanship, you know. Yeah. This is, <sighs> I, I would like to commend the Democrats who have, you know, stepped, looked beyond that partisanship and. You know, frankly, we as Republicans have never treated their nominees in this manner. I'm gonna vomit. It's I'm sort vomit. of it's sort of hard to even like like it's just it's it's a it's almost baffling. I don't know if Orrin Hatch has the memory of a goldfish <laughs> or if it's easier just to gaslight people into okay. making them forget. That's actually what I want to talk about because it really should not be that surprising that this is the route that they're taking. Right. But how are they getting away with it? And I don't know that there's a definite answer. Now, you and I aren't going to solve this right, right now in the three minutes that we have left in the segment, but how is it that they're getting away with it? Is it that we just have such a short attention span? Is it just tribalism? Is it just, well, I mean, what is it? I think it's, Tribalism. I think it's short attention spans. I think it's. I think it's a confluence of a whole bunch of things. Um, you know, I think that two or I think Orrin Hatch might actually believe that this is different than Merrick Garland. Sure. Um, I think that a lot of Republicans might believe that. I think that um, it's become increasingly clear that you can just gaslight America. Yeah. Um, you can. If you just say whatever you want it, to be true. It's not that hard. Right. You just say I'm whatever. I'm shocked at how easy this has been. It's right. It's if you just say whatever you want to be true, people will start to make. They'll make believe it, it. Yeah. There's an erasure of history and a rewriting that is just accepted and it's just swallowed and by it's, it, the general it, public. <laughs> It, on Orrin Hatch in particular, I'm from Utah. This man represented oh, yeah, me right, for right, two right. decades. That's your boy. Um, he's retiring. Yeah. He doesn't have to do this anymore. Orrin Hatch is- I think he likes it. I think he does as well, honestly. Right? But I think that there is- the, that it, that every, every time he does something like this, it reminds me that he- actually doesn't have to like suck up to Trump as much as he does. He doesn't need to get reelected. He just is like tarnishing the end of his biography and well, it's very That's exactly what Kennedy did too. You didn't have to do this. He did not have to do this. Right. Right. But I mean, look, I, uh, you're right, but we know who these guys are. That's we a, know who these guys are. Well, and, I, and they're I, always going to be those guys. They right. I when Kennedy retired, a friend of mine was like, "Why would he do this? Why would he?" You know, and I, I never was like, had that. I knew, and I, I'm not surprised I, at all. I had the same reaction that you did. I, yeah. I was like, because this is the man whose legacy is Citizens United. Like, what do you, what do you expect? Kennedy, Kennedy has been right in the past. Yes, and he gets remembered yeah. for the times that he but, was right. But let's he's been a lot thing. of wrong. Yeah, a hundred percent. A hundred percent. Oh, gosh. Okay, we have so much to talk about. Um, you know what we should do? What? 
we should bring in Matt Fuller from the Huff Post. That's a great idea. To join us to talk about more news of the day because I don't know if you heard about this. There might be a shutdown coming. We could talk about Jim Jordan's very weird situation, including his run for House That's a really nice way to put it. (laughs) Can't wait to talk about all of that with me, Peter Ogburn, Addie Baird, politics reporter from Think Progress. And coming up next, Matt Fuller joins us in studio. Stay tuned. Download our podcast, search for The Bill Press Show on iTunes, and remember to rate, review, and subscribe. This is The Bill Press Show. That's very important, by the way. Don't just go listen to our podcast, but make sure you rate, review, and subscribe. And remember, if you subscribe, you not only get the show every single day as we put it out right after the program, but we put out special content uh on the weekends, on Saturday, uh, w- tomorrow uh, we have uh, Lewis Black, our interview with Lewis Black. We had him on the show uh, to talk about politics and comedy in the age of Trump. Uh, we also have another uh, segment coming up, which we're going to be taping today, just to pull back the curtain a little bit, where we're going to be talking summer cocktails. We have a bartender coming in who's going to mix up a cocktail. You guys are welcome to stay if you want to you know, tie one on with us at, at nine, nine in the morning. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Honestly? You're welcome to stay. Wouldn't be the first time. Wouldn't be the first time. I am lucky enough to be joined. Oh, but my name, by the way, is Peter Ogburn. I'm sitting in for Bill Press today. Uh, he'll be back next week. Uh, but I am lucky enough to be joined by politics reporter at Think Progress, Eddie Baird, who is still in studio with us, and our buddy congressional reporter for HuffPost, Matt Fuller. Hey, Matt. Hey, Peter. <laughs> <laughs> How are you? I'm good. Going to go rate the Bill Press show. Yes, exactly. I'm going to subscribe. Yeah, so. do it. Do it. <laughs> rate, review, subscribe. That's those. That's the phrase. That what plays. happens if you only give like a one star, though? Like, oh, don't do a little that. off today. A little, yeah. two, a little two, you know? Review us. If you give us the Friday full five, don't, don't like be fair rescue. about your review. Just just go for the five. Go all out. And again, I should point out, I pointed out at the start of every segment of the show, my dog is with me. Uh, Wee Bay is here. Uh, I'm going out of town he, right after the he show. He's not mic'd up, though. He's not mic'd up, although he's a very, uh, he's everywhere. He's all over the place. So if you're watching the show, you will see the dog just sort of like wandering around. Okay. let's Matt, let's first of all talk about um, the shutdown. Are we going to have a shutdown? Yeah. Uh, <laughs> um, you know, I, I I was one of those people who was pretty skeptical that any of this stuff could really happen. Um, but the more I kind of talked to some folks, uh, and I've been talking to some folks this week. Um, <laughs> people are saying. People are saying. Yeah. Uh, you know, people many people. That. Yeah, people forget People forget, yeah. <laughs> um, no, I mean, Trump is obviously, he's starting to draw this little line with the wall. Um there's, you know, some reporting out there that says indicates that he might just kick it to a lame duck, give a seat, you know, a continuing resolution, just like a short term funding bill until after the election happens. Uh, but, you know, there uh, there's going to be a fight. Um, yeah. At least there's the posturing at the, at the moment. And I think that conservatives are going to try to convince Trump that now is the time to fight on the wall. Yeah. Um, that strategically doesn't seem to make much sense, particularly if, if you be- if you don't believe they're going to get a wall, and I and I don't, uh, I just don't think that that's within the playing field. Wait, we've been told that the wall is already being built. Mike the Pence, wall has been built. Mike Pence says we've got a down payment on the wall, and it's already being built. Donald Trump's Wait. broad shoulders. <laughs> Hang on. Hang on. My favorite part of having Matt on the show is that you don't My do a bad lot, impressions. You don't do a ton of impressions. You don't do a ton of impressions, well, but the one you do really hit the mark. 
Wait, that, what's the one that you can do? Well, I do a few. I mean, I do a lot of like weird ones that no one, unless you know like Rob Woodall from Georgia, like a congressman, you know. <laughs> <laughs> you know, like people like don't know the people who I like, can actually do impressions of. Welcome so. to our new segment, Matt yeah. Fuller's obscure mimicry. <laughs> it's like members of Congress going to Chili's. <laughs> you know, <laughs> like uh, <laughs> you know, I have the chicken crispers. Uh, you know, I'm New Year. I've only been here for ten years. Uh, yeah, it's things like that, but. I don't know if it's that me. funny. But, it, no, it kills me. It kills me. It kills me. It's so good. And you got a good Paul Ryan, too. I don't have a good Paul Ryan. Wait, just do the it. Paul Ryan? Yeah, do the Paul, you gotta do the Paul Ryan. Uh, you know, <laughs> Donald Trump. It's, it's Yeah, it's really, it's, yeah. It's, uh, I do always do one impression, uh, and I, I mean, this is sort of, we do a drink every year with Paul Ryan, which is kind of weird, but he's always like, I'll have one Miller Lite. <laughs> Can I get one Miller Lite? <laughs> it's exactly what you think of, of that whole situation. Yeah, yeah, literally. Yeah, but I mean, the Mike Pence is always, you know, you guys always, you always have to bring up the broad-shouldered. Yeah, Donald Trump's broad-shouldered foreign policy <laughs> under his leadership, President Donald Trump. Yeah, it's, yeah. But that's yeah. Yeah. Anyway, so so he says we're going. That the wall is already being built. Uh, oh, of is, course, yeah, is yeah, this yeah. a hill that Donald Trump is ready to die on? I think that um, if he can be convinced that it's still possible, and and the the funny thing is, there to segue into the Jim Jordan stuff, uh, we do have like sort of a leadership race here, and these conservatives are sort of making it out to be, hey, uh, if you know if you want the wall, we just have to fight for it, and they're daring people like Kevin McCarthy and Steve Scalise to say, no, 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 that's not possible. Yeah. I mean, that's exactly how, in their mind how you win over Donald Trump and get his endorsement is by saying, we can do this if we just fight with you. And you know, then you let Kevin McCarthy be the one to be like, uh, <clears throat> "Sir, yeah, uh, you know, maybe not, <clears throat> not, <laughs> not, not the best idea a month out before elections." Well, here, here, just to play devil's avocado a little bit on this, mm -hmm. right? Because it, during Barack Obama's presidency, there were a couple of shutdowns when Republicans had control. It was very clear. Every poll that came out blamed the Republicans. This is the Republicans' fault. They did this, and then they won the White House. The House, the Senate. So it's not as if people held on to that blame for too, too long. But this seems a little bit different. Yeah, I mean, for one, um, the big shutdown was 2013. So you yeah. had a whole year intervening. And, and also uh, that whole news story, I mean, congressional Republicans had horrible um, approval ratings. But then we had the Obamacare website. It seems like this is five years ago. It seems like a lifetime ago now. But, uh, yeah, if you recall the, the rollout of the yeah. Obamacare Remember gaffes? Remember when gaffes mattered? What about your gaffes? Yeah, remember when that <laughs> mattered? Yeah, gaffes are cool. Yeah, yeah. Um, so we'll never get back to that place. I, I don't know. Will we get back to that place? No, we no, won't. Because can you imagine? Like, like when when someone yelled, when that reporter yelled to Mitt Romney, "What about your gaffes?" Everyone knew <laughs> like what what they were referring to. Yeah, yeah. yelling at. Any Seems. any elected official, what about your gaffes? Everyone would be it's like, joke. It's like, yeah. what? It's like a what? tweet. What? Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's, yeah. Right. Like, what, what does what that even mean gaffes? anymore? But it's also sort of like, 
I've said this before, right? Like, whoever runs for president next, one of their campaign slogans should be like, you know what? I just don't want to occupy your headspace 24-7. That's just all I want to do. I don't care. I might run the country into the ground, but I don't want you to be thinking about all the crazy ass that I'm doing every I'll, single day. I'll be day. the Ron Popeil Showtime oven. <laughs> you just said it and, and forget, it. forget it. That's actually a better slogan than anything Democrats have come up with. I said it and forget good. it. Just said it and forget it. That's pretty good. There was a uh, piece... Uh, a couple months ago at this point that basically posited that Bill de Blasio should be that person and I lost my Popeil. mind. Yeah, exactly. That they basically were like, he would be a boring president. And I was like, you don't know anything about Bill de Blasio. Right. Like, right. this man was once under, uh, like, seven different investigations. Right. Like, you got to pick the right person. It can't just be someone who sounds boring when they talk. They sound which boring Bill when they Which Bill de Blasio talk. does. Yeah, but that. he will not let you stop thinking about the government. Oh, man. So if this shutdown does happen, uh, it, there's really nobody else to blame. I, I mean, mean they it, have full and total control. Yeah, I mean, the, the, the funny thing is um, every time Trump goes out there and says, you know, I will shut down the government. Right. He's, he's making it pretty clear who this shutdown would be on. It's hard to shift blame. Yeah, when you said, you know, I will do this. Um, I don't see the, – the, the argument is always, well, Democrats have – you know, they're denying us the 60 votes in the Senate and they won't give us the wall – but again, yeah, Republicans control government. This is really on them. Yeah. And Democrats, I think, are understand that and are like, yeah, go ahead and shut down the government over wall money. Like, well, okay, we'll, we'll win that battle. Sure. There aren't many battles Democrats can win. This is one of them. Um, generally, I think everyone's sort of learning that shutdowns are not fantastic for your politics and doing one right before an election a month out seems like a strategy that Democrats could get behind for Republicans. Bold move. Yeah, bold move cotton. Yeah, yeah. Let's, let's see how that works yeah, out for you. I have a question for you. I think that, I wonder what your sense of this is, that basically, even though people will blame Republicans, shutting down the government is kind of, in its purest form, part of the Republican ethos, that like the that like you don't actually really need... The We're not going to take it anymore. Or, yeah. Oh, oh well, the, the government the, part. The, the government, like, the, like, but like for 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 Democrats, like that 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 sense doesn't track as much. Like it's it doesn't. It they doesn't believe in make, government, is what you're saying? Yeah, that like it, that it doesn't seem like a smart a bargaining chip. Do, yeah. do, do you think that that? Sense oh yeah, and and, and actually, it, yeah, yeah, and and there's, I mean, this is this whole argument can be tempered here a little bit if um, Republicans are trying to pass regular appropriations bills, which aren't regular. They're just minibuses, which is combining a bunch of bills. Um, they're thinking you have 12 appropriations bills. They, if they can get you know, between five, nine, whatever, then it's not really that big of a deal if three departments you know, are, are shut down, or at least the, the, the panic that's out there. It's not going to be this widespread, you know, the park service is, you know, the parks are closed down and, um, you know, my kids are on a field trip. And, like, those, those things can be sort of, again, mitigated by just funding some of the departments. So – uh, it's it's interesting to see how this is all going to play out, but it, a lot of it does depend on how many departments get funded here, and then how much leverage you have uh, going forward. And frankly, I still think that you know Trump has said repeatedly it's so weird to like take your president yeah. not seriously or literally, but um, <laughs> right. just to like look at him and say, oh, I don't believe that he's going to do the thing he's tweeting about repeatedly, you know, yeah. day after day. I will shut down government. It's like no, I, don't, I still don't, still don't quite believe it. But 
I should at some point we have to start believing the guy, but we're still two months out. So yeah, let me uh, let me just uh, interrupt really quickly because there is a little bit of breaking news. The uh, oh. July job numbers, the economy numbers, the uh, uh, job numbers are out. One hundred fifty-seven thousand jobs added in July. That is a sharp downturn from two hundred forty-eight thousand that were added last month. Uh, just reading directly from Politico here, average hourly private sector early earnings were up 2.7% over the previous year, unchanged from June. The employment rate was 3.9%, which is down from 4% in June. Analysts surveyed uh, by Bloomberg had predicted a creation of 190,000 jobs. They were at 150,000, 157,000 jobs. Not a huge miss, but a little bit of a miss there. Uh, just felt like putting that out there just so you know where we are with the economy um you know what i think about a lot do you remember a couple months ago when trump just tweeted about the job numbers before we got the job numbers yeah oh yeah i think about that all the time because it's like <laughs> the perfect like banality of evil like that was illegal yeah. um <laughs> and like we all just moved that goes right away on in the day. yeah yeah, <laughs> yeah. yeah. You know, and i think about it all the time. <laughs> I think part of that is what we have been conditioned to freak out over. Like, I, I'm guilty of looking at that and being like, all right, well, yeah, that was a dumb thing to do. And it certainly oh, breaks the precedent. But, like, at least, you it's know. It's dumb. At, at, le- at the time, at least we're not drugging children at the border and ripping them off of their mother's breasts. While <laughs> we were. We feed. just didn't know about it yet. But then it turns out we <laughs> were. Yeah, it's hard to get excited about, you know the job number thing when you're like, oh, yeah, they're like kidnapping kids. Yeah, <laughs> like, right. But, yeah, right. I mean, I had a, I have a, a good friend who's a financial reporter. He's been, you know, Washington financial reporter for years. And I remember the very first month the job numbers were coming out, and he was like, I know if it's good, Trump's just going to – he's going to tweet something or, you know, they get these numbers early. And it is a it's it is a very, you know, under lock and key kind of situation. Um, and, of course, like, you know, even Trump saying – I think because he was his – his tweet was a little indirect, but stuff like check out those job numbers yeah, when right. they come. Like, <laughs> like yeah, yeah, I, think I wonder it was what like, it is. Can't wait, wait to uh, see uh, the, jo- the job numbers. Man, be on the lookout for those. <laughs> what could they be? <laughs> could they be good this month? <laughs> I don't know. Who could know? Who could possibly know? It's right, and that's why I think about it so much. Is because like it, it wasn't that big a deal, but in yeah. in so many ways, it's like emblematic of like. Well, this president. Oh yeah. Well, we've like f- totally forgotten about Helsinki, right? That was <laughs> oh yeah like, two weeks ago. Or, uh, like really a time forgot. doesn't exist, but no. it's like it's gone. The Cohen tapes, like you know, those are real scandals, and and they just you know flutter away. I'm rewatching, by the way, the first season of uh, True Detective. Oh, I just rewatched it. Where the time is a flat circle, and yeah. it's just like yeah. now more than ever. Now more than ever. Uh, I want to switch gears, uh, Matt, because you you, well, you both have actually written about Jim Jordan. Uh, he is running for House Speaker. I think it's safe to say he is um, embroiled. And embroiled? Of, embroiled yeah. is the word I would use, and a little bit of controversy. Uh, can you just bring us up to speed on what exactly is going on with him with the, the whole wrestling thing yeah, when he was so, at Ohio State? So he was, uh, first of all, Jim Jordan was a champion wrestler at Ohio State, uh, two-time NCAA champion, uh, stayed on after, became a coach. So he's still sort of a young guy, but he's there in the late 80s, early 90s, and there's this weird doctor who apparently is um, sexually assaulting uh, all these athletes, uh, hundreds, maybe over a thousand athletes. Uh, It's a a very serious situation, Um, but the allegations are that there were players coming forward. We now, I think we have seven players who've said um, yeah, you know, we've we had 
told Jim Jordan he knew about this, but there was this, again, this creepy athletic department doctor who, you know, people were like, I, my knee hurts. And then he's like, okay, pull down your pants. Right, and right, right. Weird stuff. And he was also showering. And like, I think the term <clears throat> was excessive soaping in the shower. It's just a weird, <sighs> the guy is weird. And I think that, Ugh. I think that anyone there probably had to know that the guy was at least weird. Uh, so, Jordan was there's there as a coach. There's cause for concern. There's cause for concern. Now, again, it is late 80s, 90s, so may people maybe didn't quite understand. But it's not like a different world, right? Right. I remember, I remember the 90s. Um, yeah. So v Vaguely. Vaguely. <laughs> I have a vague I don't. I was a baby. <laughs> I was there. I was there the whole 90s. I yeah. saw it all. I was there for all the 90s. I have a couple holes in my brain that were created in the 90s as uh, we still fall into every now and then. But I remember most of it. I remember yeah. most of it. Yeah. But, but, yeah, so then, I mean, these players come forward and they're saying, we told Jim Jordan, we told these other coaches, and they didn't do anything. Um, and that's, you know, in some ways a serious allegation. Jordan's defense is that, look, you know, if I had actually known, I had no interest in protecting this doctor. Had I actually known, we, you know, we would have stepped forward. It's also, this is all fake news. Uh, this is a Democratic hit job. Where have we heard that before? Yeah, I don't know. There's some, someone's playbook. Uh, it's weird. Um, <laughs> yeah, and, and he's just sort of marching ahead now. Uh, while embroiled in this controversy. I mean, the feedback he's been getting, I know he's been getting, is that, you know, largely Republicans are like, oh, don't worry about it, Jim, like, you know, whatever. But uh, that Democrats are now using this in ads in the Ohio 12 race. This is like, you know, Troy Balderson won't say if he supports Jim Jordan. Right. Um, so it's becoming an issue. And also, like, Jim Jordan is running for speaker. He's officially running for speaker. So every Republican needs to be sort of asked at this point, do you support Jim Jordan for speaker? Like, what, you know, do you not care about this controversy? Uh, there's a lot of questions still surrounding it, and, and there haven't been answered, and Jim Jordan's just sort of, again, moving on, just, you know, letting the controversy flutter away. I, I mean, look, I, I I guess it is up to other people to make the argument. It's not up to him to sort of uh, tie his own noose, right? But, like, you have to – I mean, if you're running for a position – of um, where you have to be the adult in the room, right? Speaker of the House. It's a big deal. Mm -hmm. uh, you're also, like, in charge of things. You should be able to have your hands on, on things that need to be in, you need to keep control of this situation that clearly he had no control right. or chose to not get involved. And it's also, it's you know, I would say it's not exactly comforting that his response is, you know, CNN has contacted 150 report, uh, former wrestlers and, you know, this is fake news. This is a witch hunt. It's like, well, that's reporting. Like, yeah, that's what you do. That's what you're supposed to right. do. So, um, you know, there's there's separate arguments here, and obviously, Jim Jordan has his own. I mean, he's one of the most conservative members of Congress. Yeah, uh, he was a, fa a founder of the Freedom Caucus. He was the first chairman of the Freedom Caucus for two years. Um, he's a very conservative member of Congress, and and he he is, and I will say, he is a principled guy. Like, I know, sure, when Jim Jordan says. I want to do this. I want to repeal Obamacare. He actually means it, where which is you can't say the same about a lot of Republicans, where you know they'll they'll tell you, yeah, I, I believe in cutting spending, or uh, we got to cut taxes, and you know then like, oh yeah, we don't, we don't, I don't really want to cut spending. Like Jim Jordan wants to cut spending. He wants to do the things that Republicans run on. I, I want to jump back into the Jim Jordan stuff in just a second, but I do have another piece of breaking news. Uh, Every time you say that, I get scared. I know. <laughs> I know. Well, we had some relatively good economic uh, news that I reported just a moment ago, but also here's a new one. China announced today that it would hit about $60 billion worth of U.S. exports with new tariffs in response to Donald Trump's decision this week to potentially increase the levy on roughly $200 billion in imports from Beijing. Trade war. Trade yeah. war. Yeah. We got a trade war. war. It's going to go well. We got ourselves a trade war. We had ourselves a trade war, but it's only escalating. 
you know, an it, escalating trade war. Escalate, folks, an escalating trade war. Jim Jordan embroiled in controversy during <laughs> the escalating trade war. It's basically, I just put buzzwords out there. That's yeah, really yeah, yeah, it. Yeah. Shout a lot. It sounds like a, an AP lead, like the first yeah. clause of an AP lead. On the tariff stuff, um, what are Republicans saying? Because like we've we've listened to a lot of Republicans, they do not love this. No, yeah, yeah. I mean, there's. I think um, for Republicans, this is sort of a reckoning, right? You for twenty, thirty years, you've heard nothing from Republicans but free trade, free trade. Yeah. Um, there's a sense of it. I think this is like the Navarro wing of the White House, which is, yeah, you can do some stuff. Some of this is maybe saber rattling. Mm. That you sort of scare countries into making trade agreements or whatever, um, unless you don't. But like, yeah, what we're what we're seeing right now, you know, China. And by the way, China has a lot of U.S. debt. Like, there's lots of ways for China to strike back that aren't just tariffs, right? Right. Um, this That's is, what scares me. Right. Right. And and we're gonna have no mechanism. Like, so say we do enter enter into a downturn in the economy. Well, where do you? How are you gonna do this with interest rates? Are you gonna lower interest rates from where they're at right now? You know, you, there's no real knobs here that we can turn at this point um and we have yeah we have basically full full employment but uh wages aren't really going up i mean that's one of you know you said we have these good job numbers and i wouldn't i would say that 157,000 added jobs there's not much you can do there basically because it it is 3.9 percent unemployment right um but real wages aren't going up for people right we just spent a trillion and a half dollars on a on a tax bill that it's it's like a sugar high and some people get some three hundred dollar bonuses, and like Crazy. you know, I, I'm just curious it's how Republicans crazy. are going to run on because this is a bill that's going to impact generations. This is decades, uh, the cost of this, and it's like, yeah, but do you remember that bonus you got in February of 2018? Like, you, you know, I, I had the same thought. That, you know, so many people talked about the positive impact of that tax cut, and uh, boy, I just don't buy it. Yeah, I, I mean, think yeah, the data we have tells us that. You shouldn't buy it. It's not wages have not gone up. Right. right. And they and they and they sold it on you know average family is going to see twenty four hundred dollars of of you know wage growth. Um, I think that most and this is a, an interesting question. I've, I've heard congressional uh, congressional Democrats people or at least Democrats running for Congress are asking constituents basically like raise your hand if you think the tax bill was meant for you. And it's you know it's a room full of people being like oh yeah no like I don't that was not. People, I think, by and large, know that this bill was meant for very rich people, for corporations. I mean, this was a significant tax cut for the for corporations with the uh, the corporate tax rate going from thirty five to twenty one. Now you have them, and this is an, also another like Republican silence moment. But they're going to, or at least, look at cutting, like, yeah, uh, you know, cap gains, and I think there was part of it, even the estate tax, even further without Congress's without Congress. approval. Right, Just, they can do this apparently. Uh, Steven Mnuchin has talked about this. Yeah, we can do it. And I remember, you know, remember old re- Republicans for years crying about Emperor Obama yeah. and, you know, that stuff. But suddenly we're setting taxes through, you know, executive orders or fiat. I don't know. <laughs> I just want to read directly from uh, Slate's business. Uh, now the White House appears to be contemplating a proposal that would combine our president's two great loves into one by using a legally questionable regulatory move to enact a $100 billion tax cut for the wealthy without bothering to pass a pesky bill through co- through Capitol Hill first. Those pesky bills. Those pesky bills. Just, boy, don't you hate how they get in the way? That meddling Russia. You. <laughs> you pesky kids. A hundred billion Billion dollars in yeah. tax cuts for the wealthy. Yeah, I mean, what is their defense of that? 
<laughs> Don't look at me. <laughs> or is there You're a, the I resident mean, Republican here, right? <laughs> I mean, I mean, what is, what, I mean well, the idea, I think, is, oh, this will spur more economic sure. growth or something like that. Um, I mean, it's trickle-down economics. Trickle down. It's, it's trickle-down, yeah. but I think no one, everyone knows trickle-down doesn't work. Uh, Do they? I... Uh, Republicans they, in Congress definitely don't. Republicans. I don't think Republicans. <laughs> I think they. I think we increasingly hear people say the quiet part sure, loud sure, that sure, sure, sure. rich people and wealthy corporations shouldn't have to pay as much taxes as they do. I was just amazed because I remember asking so many Republicans during the first go round of tax reform here um, if they thought tax cuts paid for themselves. And did you, you know we can even ask the question? And I did. Like empirically, did the 2001-2003 tax cuts pay for themselves, which they didn't. I mean, we have very good data on that question, unless you think the economy was absolutely going to crater without those tax cuts. Right. Um, and by and the way- the, what happened like a few years later? And then what happened? <laughs> well, we, we went to war yes, and yes, uh, yes, yeah, yes. the economy did sort of collapse and- Oh, that, uh, right, right. I remember right. that. I but remember the, that. the funny thing too is that the, the Bush administration was saying, we, you know, we're going to have these massive surpluses because of the tax cuts, and obviously that didn't happen. Yeah. Oh, oh man. Well, thank you for bringing us up to speed on all the horrible news that's out there. Uh, Matt Fuller <laughs> uh, from HuffPost. Uh, have a great weekend after that. Addie Baird, uh, politics reporter for Think Progress. Thank you both for coming in. I really appreciate it. Thanks, Thanks Peter. Thanks for having us. And thank you for watching and listening. Remember, check out YouTube.com slash The Bill Press Show and hit the subscribe button there so you can get our videos as we put them out. And check out the podcast every day. We got new stuff up for you. Have a great weekend. Bill's back on Monday. This is The Bill Press Show.